You're listening to the Saturday Morning RPG Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning RPG Show. My name is Jordan. I'm underneath a book on top of me here. Uh, and uh, I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Hello. Um, Hello. How, are, how are you today? Really good. Um, I wonder awesome. what page that is on the book that you've been on for 251 shows. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, now I'm thinking day. about it. It's uh, it's it's magic items. Manta, maybe? I think I it's see. a cloak. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. That's funny. <laughs> so cool. funny. Uh, Moa Peach, always awesome to see you in chat. Greetings from North Carolina, he says. Um, and good morning, guys. Oh. This is uh, nice. always always fun to have you guys and doing uh, the live chats uh, during the live shows. Um, we are a Dungeons & Dragons. Well, we're an RPG podcast. We started as a D&D podcast. Um, but it's kind of evolved into just uh, role-playing games because we like role-playing games. All of them. Um, like many of them. So we're going to talk a little bit of news and some topics of conversation. Uh, first of all... Um, it was funny. I was talking with some local people here about MCDM's, a new tabletop RPG, and it came up in our Discord where they're like, "Who? What's MCDM?" And I'm like, "What? Like, I I just kind of assume I'm in the circles, you know, that people yeah. know who yeah. Matt Colville is, but they're just like, I don't know, because. Uh, but they were talking about Daggerheart, and I was like, "Yeah, MCDM system is using kind of a similar thing," and they're like, "What's that?" And I was like, "Oh." So I pointed them to a couple videos. Um. But as someone who is curious about tabletop RPG design and dice mechanics and things like that, uh, mm -hmm. those design videos are really interesting. Like the latest, yeah. the la last one was all about dice, and I like to see how he is saying we created this whole mechanic just to throw it out to realize that it wasn't what we needed, kind of a thing. And uh, so I don't know. I'm I I should become a patron and just start like getting playtest material <laughs> i'm not a patron but i was like i should because it's pretty crazy mm -hmm. so uh yeah i don't know you've been watching them i assume because you're a big coville fan so yeah always been a big coville fan i think that's one of the things that kind of me and you always clicked on too is that we were fans of that of him and it's really listening to him tell stories or he he's makes good good storyteller yeah he makes you know all these things that may be boring if other people did it he just he tells a great story and I thought this was a really good one because we have talked about dice mechanics a lot. Um, and this was their version of dice mechanics. And I like that he started with, you know, we wanted to start with the story dice from Star Wars, which yeah. I always think when you describe that system without playing it, without doing anything, if you just sit somebody down and say, hey, I have this game mm -hmm. and it has some dice. All right. And then when we want to do things that we don't know what's going to happen, we're going to roll some dice. Well, on these dice, there's these things. And when you go into the explanation of it, it sounds like the coolest thing. And it sounds like every single system should be using it. But it's funny how he kind of broke down how it's not actually work for every system. And yeah. why it wasn't going to work for their system, but how they did like it and why it's so good. And I was just listening to it and thinking, sometimes ideas sound great out loud or even when you explain them to people. And it's only through the using them or playing through them over a few sessions or a few hours. Yeah. That maybe it then falls apart, even though if you describe it, it sounds so good. Right. So it's just like it was a very interesting video. I definitely recommend everybody go to the YouTube channel and just and just watch it. I thought it was great about, you know, 2D6 system. They were using story dice system. He was talking about the cosmic dice or throwing in, you know. He was talking about success and fails or success and fails with, you know, boons and banes or, you know, all these things that everybody mm -hmm. talks about these days. Um, and it's funny. It's all we're not going to do a D20 system, right? It's it's really everything but D20 because that's D&D. That's the, you know, the, the, the king of the hill, Pathfinders. Those are the king of the hill, the D20s. Nobody's really trying to go in that space anymore, it seems like. And everybody's trying to well, find that space outside of the D20 yeah. system. Yeah, it's interesting you brought it up because uh, we were talking with 
uh, or I was talking with Celeste, who's the lead game designer at Kobold Press, mm-hmm. and they're making their Tales of the Valiant, which is the 5e clone. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not saying that in a negative way. Like, it's what yeah. the people wanted. And it goes oh, yeah. exactly with all of the stuff that they've already built, all the monster books, things like that. Mm-hmm. They're just going to, like, let's just get D&D or, like, get Wizards of the Coast out of this More hands. Um, and so, and, you know, we all like D&D. Like, it's, it's a 5e is a good system. So um, we were talking about that and she's like, yeah, we're not, we're worried about, or she said like, not worrying, but like, there's a collective, like, what is Critical Role going to do? And this was before they announced their 2D12 system. Um, Mm -hmm. Because after Colville announced that they're not doing a D20 system, uh, they were like, oh, well then it's not really a competing product in the sense that we're all chasing this 5e design kind of like who's going to be on top you know uh and i was like oh i never really thought about that but what you were saying is interesting as well because it's like a lot of these people like i bet critical role initially started wanting Daggerheart to be a d20 system and then they were like if we want to stand out we need to do something different you know uh mm-hmm. and i don't know i just find that interesting like like and so what's yeah. a die that is not being used right now and Daggerheart comes out and they're like well let's do a d12 because no there's not a lot of d12 games you know we have a d10 white wolf game we have a lot of d6 games uh we have a lot of d20 games but why don't really have this even though yeah and i would agree with you i think the d20 is very associated with D, even though it shouldn't be because like there's lots of games that utilize it that don't that aren't necessarily right. D. And I want to say, Lucian, you're a bit quiet. I don't know if you can be closer to your oh. microphone or bump up your volume a little bit. <laughs> no, can you bump my volume up? I, don't I can, but I usually don't like to do that. But I can do that. It's, uh, it's, I will bump you up I, a little I bit. I moved my cords, and it's as far forward as I can. Pull okay. It out. Well, we'll we'll keep it going as best <laughs> we can. Reconstructing. <laughs> I'm gonna bump mine up in Discord too because it's probably just a little bit. How about you just be a little quieter and let me talk? Yeah, I can do that too. I'm sorry. Sorry. What I also find too, though, is that when people are talking about it, they also come at it not so, they never describe it as we don't want to do a D20 system because that's what D&D has, right? It's always, well, we don't want to use the 20-sided dice because it's too swingy or we can't control or it's not a good dice for a system. It's just the one that we've always had. Even Kovo kind of said it in the beginning of that video, and I don't necessarily agree with that part of his statement that, well, it's just how it's always been, so everybody just used D20 systems, and it's not good, so we can design other ones that are you know, that are more better. I was just like, but maybe the D20 is really a good dice for playing the games. But then he started talking about, well, when you have the swinginess, then you're going to put the hit points in, and you know, it's like... And it is interesting to, to speak of the design and just deciding on controlling the su- success fail rate. But then I thought, well, should we control that success fail rate? Or is it more fun to have, you know, that success, that roll to that one or roll that 20? But, you know, in the D20 system that is swingy, it seems to be fun and it seems to give us all kinds of great games, even though it's a swingy dice. So why does going to say like a 2D6 where we can control that better seems to be a better way to go for a lot of games where they, you know, when they want to control. With the bell curve, yeah. So when we say 2D6, it's the fact that um, rolling 2D6, you're going to get like, I don't know, six to eight more than you're going to get any other combination of numbers. Like when you're adding those together, because you could roll a five and a one, you could roll a four and a two, you could roll this. Um, So when we, we say swinginess, but I I would argue that D and D or the D 20 used specifically in D and D is not swingy because you have proficiency bonus and all this other stuff. So when I'm coming into an attack, uh, yes, it's swingy when a 20 is a natural is an automatic success and a one is an automatic failure, and there's a lot of numbers in between. But when I start adding all of my proficiencies and stuff, you see that there's actually like I have a 70% chance to hit here 
on this particular type of monster because the monster's AC is count in, in part of the design philosophy for that. So yes, this yeah. undead <laughs> is going to be a lot easier to hit, but have a lot more hit points. This armored thief is going to be a lot harder to hit, but have less hit points. And so mm -hmm. the swinginess doesn't feel like it's there now with, you know, DCC or Shadow Dark or a lot of these OSR type of D&D uh, clones, that's where the swinginess comes back in because all of a sudden I might have a plus one, you know? And then all, well, now you have a range of two to 19 rather than Lots like, you know, yeah, there's a lot bigger chance for failure. And I agree, you know, people don't want to fail that much. Uh, it takes a certain type of player and even running DCC at a convention, a local con here, um, there was one player who just had really bad rolls and he had four characters and he would roll like two, four, eight, and all of them missed. And he just kind of like sighed and like sat in his chair. And I was like, I get it. This isn't the game for you in that sense. Like you want to <laughs> be able to, you want to be able to contribute something. And so I, yeah. I totally understand uh, but I, I don't think 5e is swingy by any means. So uh, it's it's interesting, but he's taking... He, he said in his dice video that he likes the d20 for attacks, but since they've taken attacks completely out of... Or attack mm -hmm. rolls, I should say, out of the game, and you only roll damage, uh, then he's like, oh, well, yeah, the bell curve's a lot better because uh, you're not rolling a d8 and, you know... Here's a good example <laughs> of why I think this works well for Matt Colville mm -hmm. and maybe for D&D. Uh, critical hits. You roll a critical hit and you uh, throw out your or you double your dice. And so let's say I have, uh, you know, my D8 longsword. Well, now I roll 2D8, but I get uh, a two and a one. So I actually do three damage. And it's like, this guy over here did more damage with his dagger than my critical hit longsword. And a lot of people in 5e are like, I don't like how that feels. I got a natural 20. I should be rewarded. And that's mm -hmm. the, the bell curve helps with that. Because, yes, you will have times where you roll a 1 and a 1. But the majority of the time, you're going to be in that sweet spot in the middle kind of a thing. Adding your bonuses for damage and what have you. Um, and so I think, like, I don't know... 5, 5e player, or when we say we don't like swinginess, that is a better example of the critical hit, but I did two damage, as opposed to the critical hit where I did 16 damage. You know, like, that's a huge yeah. range between the two, so. And I always think, too, like, it comes up in the game so often that if you put your expectation on the to-hit roll, you can be let down by either missing that to hit roll or like you just said, hitting it, but then rolling the lowest possible damage you can roll lets you down because in your mind, when you get that hit, you're already building up the movie that's happening in your mind about how this hit just, you know, cut this thing's arm off or whatever. And then you go to roll your damage. I have been trying to shift my expectation to after I roll the damage, to then in my mind play out how this worked out because I've done that where I think I'm gonna crit with this arrow. I'm gonna shoot this guy right through the eyeball. Oh, I did two damage. I guess I just scraped by him. I didn't actually stick my arrow into him. And I tried even to say that when I was uh, in our game on Thursday night, I always have been trying with uh, Dan while I'm always saying, I'm going to attempt to hit with my arrow and then I roll and I'm going to attempt to take this guy out and I roll my damage. And then if it's really big, then it's like, yes, now this is what happens, you know, and like play that in there because we, we, our expectations want us to, be, we want to be heroes, right? And we want to do heroic things, but the dice gods don't always let us do heroic things. Yeah. So we have, but we love to play around if we don't set that expectation right away. So like, if you have no thought in your mind, and you're like, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to grab the bad guy or I'm going to try to grab the gem out of the bad guy's hand before he summons the undead army. And I'm like, OK, Jordan, go ahead and, you know, roll an athletics check to see if you can get this this gem. And you're like, all right, here I go. And a one. Right. You had no expectation. <clears throat> you get a one. You're the type of player. And I know it because we played with you. You look at that one and you go, OK, 
how do I make this fun and entertaining and part of the story? And it's it's gonna lead in, it's gonna be great because yeah, I'm gonna fail here, but then there's something else that's gonna happen, we'll succeed and the story's gonna be better for it because of that that fumbling failure, right, that happened. But if you go into it always thinking you're gonna succeed, you might just be the type of player where that one happens and you're just like, oh, okay, well, it's not my turn anymore, I, I fail somebody else's turn you know like yeah. they're not they're not embracing sometimes and i'm not saying everybody but they're not embracing the failure yeah. or embracing the thing that the sacrifice or embracing the thing you can't have and we've talked about this in campaigns where you limit something embracing the limitation can be as fun or better than you know embracing all the things you do get it's always yeah. sometimes it's about the negative right so or just yeah 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 i mean uh, and if you have somebody that focuses on story, that really helps well, or a game that helps focus on story. Um, there were two things about that that really stuck out to me. One was um, when I played Dragonbane, they have a mechanic mm -hmm. where if you rolled a hit uh, and you miss, you can take a um, a condition to get a reroll. Um, and oh, the okay. condition is based on your stats. So I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it might be like intelligence you're dazed or agility you're um slowed something like that and so if you um you let's say i i i miss an attack i take the condition of slowed um and i re-roll but i hit this time well now i have that condition and i have to explain narratively well, what did yeah. you do to hit that caused you to be slow? And it's like, well, I stabbed into the bug and it sprayed me with a bunch of goo. And now I'm like fighting this goo. And it's like, okay. And that's just, you You have a condition. We all know what the condition means, but you get to describe how it's affecting you. And then the DM gets to play off of that. And like, oh yeah, these bugs are just filled with like weird uh spider slime stuff that's gonna slow you down and it's like oh okay cool and so that was another aspect of dragon bane that the that when i played it everyone at the table was like actually that's really cool because it lets the player have a narrative um mm -hmm. conversely i was playing uh the the alpha play test for uh dungeon coach his game that he's working which is i think he calls dc 20 dungeon coach 20 but he, he's like i don't know what dc is going to stand for yet it's just dc 20. Mm -hmm. he took out uh damage rolls so on the converse, like you were saying, Matt Colville, you only roll damage. On the oh, flip yeah. side, he you only roll an attack. And if you land an attack, you get to do uh, one damage. And so everybody's hit points and stuff are a lot lower. It's all about hitting and maximizing uh, that kind of hit. And so it's like I could do one damage mm -hmm. or I could uh, pull in some more actions to really try to make this hit so that I can do two damage and a condition and things like that. Um, but there's no damage rolls because he hated like doubling your dice on a crit and having it mean nothing. So a crit in his game gives you all these extra bonuses because you like sacrificed enough to make that crit happen. And I was like, oh, okay. It's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. And Colville's doing the yeah. same thing where if you crit on the damage, you actually get another turn to do like something mm -hmm. else. And I was like, that's actually really cool too. So, right. And so they're they're kind of mitigating it out by either the bell curve that they're creating by the dice they choose and the mm -hmm. dice you roll, or removing a certain mechanic yeah. to remove that feeling. But let me bring up one of our favorite games, who I think has done it the best, Mr. Monty Cook himself, Cipher System. You roll a crit, I look at you, and before your shoulders can go down and say, oh, I look, I missed, I give you an XP point. You are now going to level quicker because of your failure, you get XP based on your failure. So you want you want to fail at times because you want those extra XP points to be able to spend on your character yeah. when you start to level up. And you can have a really good success or even a really good failure. And the GM can say, well, how about you accept a GM intrusion? I also give you an XP, but I'm going to make this situation a little bit more dastardly. And then it turns it back into that narrative of, okay, now let's narratively figure out why this failure or this awesome success is going to be different or is going to change the story the way the story plays out. And it's not just about, I hit, I did seven damage, my turn's over, Jordan, your turn. Okay, you hit, you did six damage, okay, your turn's over, 
you know, like yeah, just kind of that rote. We're just going to go around the table. We're just going to call out damage numbers. It brings back in that idea of well, what's happening when these things are happening. And I love that the second piece of that cipher system. That I love the GM never rolls. You roll to hit a creature, but then when the creature's turn to hit you, you roll to defend against it. So yeah. you're always just the roller. You're never the GM's never rolling anything. They're just like so. I I love how Monty Cook tackled that same probable discussion that they probably all had about, I hate trying to be a hero and then the dice fail me from being heroic at that time. How can we make a system that helps reward that heroism, that those cool acts, that cool moment in a story? And he went with what he created in the Cypher system. If you haven't yeah. played that, you guys should go out and play Numenera or The Strange or Cypher, any one of the Cypher system games, because it's so good. But it's funny how everybody comes at those at different angles. I mean, even you, and when you were talking about some of the ones that you've been playing around with, you've been doing your D6, modular D6, you've been doing your D12 system, you know, you're thinking about that, that same thing too. And it seems like everybody's gotten away from dice pools. I remember when dice pools was the big thing too, because it seemed like there was a bunch of games about making a pool of dice and then you get to shake yeah a, a big of fist and, of and dice put them on the table yeah. <laughs> and i think that there was a there was a time in the hobby where people said people love to roll dice well that must mean people love to roll lots of dice so if people love to roll lots of dice and we want them to do that a lot so that they like our game we should make lots of dice rolls for them to do <laughs> yeah know? and i think eventually it sounded cool but maybe it didn't turn out the way it sounded when you described it but it's funny that we haven't really seen too many dice pool systems come up lately or D10s. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, it's the quintessential perfect tuning set of dice because you can do percentage and you can fine tune any percentage you want on a D10. But it seems like most people stay away from the D10s. I don't, I don't get it. Well, Call of Cthulhu There's is D10. some systems. And yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. Like, uh, if, if you want to do percentages, then, like, Mothership, Call of Cthulhu, like, there's games out there that yeah. do it. But fantasy-based games, I'm trying to think of one that's, like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, unless you start thinking of, like... It, Warhammer change, Fantasy you know. Roleplay. Okay, there you go. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay so. has, a, has a... Part of their system is um, you roll the percent underneath your, your yeah. weapon score. So, like, your weapon score is, like, a 46, so you have to roll... So then you know you have a 46% chance of, yeah. 46% chance, yeah. And then their damage rolls are pretty small damage rolls. You don't have big damage rolls, but they have the exploding dice mechanic, which we always talk about in life. So if, if it's a D6 and I roll a 6, I get to roll again. Yeah. If I get another 6, I get to roll again. And if I get another 6, I get to roll again. There Which are still dice pool games out there, but I agree with you. I wonder if it's, if it's one of those yeah. things where it just slowed down the table a lot um, it had to. and then at the end of the day it's really nice to be able to play with just 2d6 or one set of dice as opposed to i'm gonna need 20 d6s to play this like i don't know mm -hmm. um and eventually when i was doing modular d6 i was like okay yeah we'll model it off of uh open d6 and you just get like extra dice for all sorts of reasons. And so it's like, oh, yeah. you have advantage basically. Like there's there's that kind of a mechanic. It's not called that, mm -hmm. but I forget. Um, and it's like, okay, I've got a four in athletics, but I'm trained in this. So I add a three to that and I've got this and I've got the high ground. And all of a sudden you're rolling 10 D6 and I'm supposed to add up that entire amount and be like, oh, and I think for dice pools, it's the adding that, people were like, I don't like this. Because if you look at, um, uh, <laughs> well, if you look at uh, Vason or uh, a mm -hmm. lot of the Free League games, they're still a dice pool system, but you're counting successes. So you roll that yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, I got four sixes. Does four sixes, does that hit? And you're like, yeah. And so that's a lot easier to add up than roll your 10 d6 and let yeah. me know if you hit an 87 and it's like what i don't like that so um yeah. so then i was like oh well i should in my mind when i was doing modular d6 i'm like i should make this uh either less dice to roll so it's easier to add up or you just shift over to successes um but and then more dice makes it a lot more fun but then you have you are rolling like a lot of dice so 
Yeah. I don't know. We spent I more time we, on this than I thought we would, but like, yeah. I love talking I, about design and stuff. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. We, you probably, I am, I am the older, the elder of the show. I know you, you are a little younger than me, uh, but I assume you still grew up in the Yahtzee age. Did you, did your parents or did you play Yahtzee, the, the game of just rolling dice? And... You know, my no, uh, never played really? Yahtzee, never played craps. So uh, I am super old. <laughs> well, my my parents didn't like my parents didn't like games, um, oh which God. is weird. Uh, we had a deck of cards and Candyland. Uno. Um, we oh, did have Uno, I guess. Yeah. We played, but like we didn't have like family game night. It really wasn't mm -hmm. until uh, high school um, that I was like playing different card games. I guess I don't know. My mom mm -hmm. really got into. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I learned how to play solitaire, but yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, it wasn't. They didn't like games as much as, yeah. or they just didn't like games. It was also just like we just didn't buy games. I don't know. So when I wanted I, I video games, that just lots of Yahtzee. Yeah, when I wanted video games, it was just like, wait, what? And so like that was a big thing of me wanting video games, and they just didn't understand. Like, so you just sit in front of the TV. Like, what do you do? And so, mm -hmm. but. I like the idea because I've always thought you could design a, a role-playing game around Yahtzee, which was Probably. patterns, patterns on the deck. Yeah. So you're trying to get the different patterns and you're trying to, you know, and I always thought that would be a cool way to have, you know, maybe you have six dice and you're rolling them, but your successes or whatever's happening is based on, did you get three of the same number or did you get a sequence of numbers and that's a certain type of success yeah. or something. And then it's more of like just pattern recognition, which our brains are really good at. Like we can throw down dice and pattern recognize super fast. Yeah. So you could really keep the, the flow going. There's also like a fun way to do it. Yeah. There's also poker dice um, yeah. that have like the card symbols on them. And I bet you could make mm -hmm. a good game doing that. So yeah. um, very interesting. Shatter the the shattered obelisk. Uh, what is that called? What's the full Fandelver and the shattered obelisk? I think, um, yeah. is like the... the return to Fandelver or something. Yeah, <laughs> I should know this. I, I'm so back. dumb. <laughs> I just wrote shattered obelisk in my notes. That's why I'm not very good at this right now. Um, yeah. but that's coming out September 19th. I thought it was coming out on the 9th because I saw a. I, I saw one person on Twitter have an advanced copy and they had like their picture with it up. And I was like, Oh, the advanced copies are coming out. So I, I looked on D and D beyond. It says it's being released on D and D beyond on September 19th. Um, which makes me think that it, that's the early release and that it'll actually be on D and D beyond, uh, or a physical release will be in October. So I'm not really sure when that's, when I'll be able to like read it, but uh, the the alternate cover is super metal, and we'll see. Uh, yeah, and Wizards of the Coast has been releasing lots of videos on uh, this and all the different things. Which, if you watch the videos, a lot of them are just like, "I wish I could talk about this," but spoilers. So apparently, there's yeah. there's something big enough that they struggle. don't want to talk about it. So we'll. I'm really yeah. curious about what when that comes out. Um, Fandelver and Below, the Shattered Obelisk. Ah, Fandelver and Below. There we go. Thank you. D&D uh, &D Beyond, because of Baldur's Gate 3, they released a Baldur's Gate Gazetteer, which is just a uh, little preview of the city um, and NPCs and, like, how you could have a character start uh, from Baldur's Gate, like, backgrounds and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I was reading it, and I'm like, this looks so familiar and it's straight up just from descent into Avernus. So there was this whole Baldur's Gate section in descent into Avernus and they cut that out and put it onto D&D beyond for free. Uh, you have to go claim it. Um, and it's good information. Like, I think you guys should go and claim it. Uh, I was just like, Oh, you didn't, you didn't write anything new. This was just, no. okay, well, all right, whatever. Uh, but it's, it's still pretty good. Um, so if you're curious about Baldur's Gate if you're playing Baldur's Gate 3 and you're like, I want to learn more about Baldur's Gate, that's a good place to jump in. So I did have a Forgotten Realms lore question, and who better to ask than a Forgotten Realms lore YouTuber? Or Ed Greenwood. Putting I mean, him on the spot, you know, or Google. <laughs> oh, they say the early D&D Beyond is on 9.5. Okay, so we should be getting it then. Soon. Quick, then. So. That's like next week. Yeah, that's yeah, really cool. So Okay, I was wrong. Thank yeah. you, Milestone 20. I appreciate it.
or no, two weeks because yeah, yeah, thirty one is in the middle. It'll of be a business. Tuesday. They usually release on a Tuesday, so yeah, two Tuesdays. Uh, so here's my question: Put you on the spot, Mister Forgotten Roms himself. Which city is bigger, Baldur's Gate or Waterdeep? Waterdeep. That's what I told my. Waterdeep is the largest city. It's the largest city on the Sword Coast. Yeah. Sword Coast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got that right, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so very cool. That's where our adventure is starting. That's for later in the show. But I did. <laughs> I was in the comic book store and I did see on the shelf "Glory of the Giants." Yep. Um, and I saw the alternate cover, which looked really cool. I was flipping through it. The book looks pretty good. Really cool. In the back of that book, they have a artwork of a chessboard, and all of the chess pieces are the different giant types. And oh, I thought cool. immediately, I want that chess set <laughs> because they had like the storm giants were like the king and the queen and like they oh, had through all the or the yeah. in there. Ordinary. Yeah. And then it was like, I think the, the hill giants were the pawns and then it was like, and it was like, you know, the, the, the light and dark side, you know, so it was like, I want that chess set because the artwork of it looked really good. So if anybody's um, wanting to see some really cool artwork, check out that book in your local game store um at the back on the back of it um it, it was pretty cool i i almost bought it just because i like that piece of art so much i was like i'm gonna buy this one and uh, i'm i don't know i'm getting i'm getting higher and higher on enjoying giant lores and the lore yeah. of the giants that i'm i want to get back to storms king thunder which was one of my favorite adventures to run um i think i may pick this one up i th i may pick it up when it's on sale you know, or maybe an Amazon special kind of thing and get it. Um, or I like to support my comic book store. So maybe I'll get it when, you know, they put it on sale or something. But I think this is one I'm eventually going to pick up because the the lore behind Giants is, is more and more intriguing the more I get into it. Yeah, there's there's lots of fun, interesting stuff. And they're, for 5e, they're making that um, Anum, the all-father of the Giants, uh, mm -hmm. apparently is still around. Um and there's hints to that in Planescape, where there's like an Anim's realm on uh, the the uh, Outlands, and so I was like, oh, and so I don't know if we, if they're making it all kind of come full circle. Um, I really like the giant lore in Eberron, and I was reading about some of the giants that are in the Five E book are, uh, you know, a lot of those giants are not new. They're like older monster oh, yeah. creations that are brought over. But like the death mm -hmm. giants that are in that book, uh, the Eberron version of death giants are these giants that made these weird packs with other people from, uh, or with these, you know, entities from the death realm and stuff. And I was like, that sounds way cool. And Zendrick, the, the land of the giants is cursed because of something the giants did. And so... Uh, they can be cool. I've never had good luck using giants in combat because it always seems like they have like one or two actions and then can't do anything else. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're easy to hit. But yeah, I mean, with the right campaign, giants can be really cool. So yeah. for sure. Well, and I like they, they've expanded on there's lots, lots of different types of dragons. We've expanded past kind of the chromatics nowadays and we shadow dragons and Dragon. Oh yeah, dragons are the same there's thing. All like kinds of carpet dragons expansion you know. <laughs> on it. Yeah, yeah. There's everything, and the ultimate um, opponent of the dragons in the lore is usually the giants because mm -hmm. there's the war between the two. And so I like to see that they're expanding the types of giants that you know we had our kind of our our five ish, six ish that everybody would realize, but then now we can you know really start to expand out to lots of these other types. That I think is. Pretty cool. I think there's all kinds you could do, like, uh, you know, a shadow giant of some sort, a sand giant or a clockwork giant. I mean, there's just so many different ideas that you could do besides just, you know, stone, hill, frost, storm, fire. I'm forgetting any. <laughs> the five. The but, elements, basically. The storm yeah. yeah, the storm, storm king thunder. But they can be a, quite a bit more. And, you know, there's a big hierarchy there. There's the ordning is going on. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of cool in there. Yeah. Rune, sure. rune magic is big, you know. In, in, in I, d I like the idea of rune magic being separate um, and something still unknown to humans. Like, we don't, like, 
man, giants just use magic in a different way because dragons really seem to have the exact same spells as people, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I like this idea that they have learned how to do magic through some weird way that we don't understand. And so instead of semantic gestures and verbal things, they've imbued this symbol with magic. They carve it on a piece of, 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 they carve it on a rock that makes a shield. And now they have a magical shield. It's like, how did that work? So, (laughs) uh, I definitely something I want to play with as I design our, you know, RPG mechanics is the idea of like, how do you understand rune magic? So, yeah. Um, did you want to talk about crusades or, I, well, I just wanted to say I backed the Historica Arcanum Era of the Crusades. We had talked about this in our last yeah. show, and it reminded me, because we, we had talked about it before in one or two of our other shows, um, some of their earlier books. But then right after our show, I, I went over to the website, and I was looking through more of it, and I was just getting more and more excited going through their their website. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go over the Kickstarter. And before I know it, like I'm buying the collector's boxed edition of Historica <laughs> Arcanum. And, and I'm like, this is going to be so good. But I like the, I am, you know, I do the SCA. So I like the medieval reenactment. They're going to do a 5e kind of historical crusades, pseudo history, yeah. 5e thing. And I'm like, that kind of matches. I love the idea of like an alternate history kind of thing or an altered history kind of thing. And it's going to fit within 5e, which I know, and I can play, you know, like the back of my hand or in my sleep at this point. And the artwork looks good. It's a group from Turkey, you know, so I was just like, it just kind of checked all the boxes of this seems so good. Yeah, the era of the crusade. So and I don't know if you watched the unboxing video I did of their last Kickstarter, which was Empires of the Silk Road. You should check it out. Yet. It's in my list. Um, <laughs> but you'll be very surprised with all the cool goodies that are in that that uh, this one. So Era of the Crusades, they knock it out of the park. Like the the production quality and just the, the love and detail that goes into it, which is something that I was talking to you last week, I think, about, is that I really mm-hmm. love these content there are these people that are making RPG supplements and you can tell like they have so much love for it versus um, yeah, I know about Planescape, but the people making it are just kind of like, well, here's Planescape. You know, they don't have that same like, Oh my gosh. And I get admit, I finally get to make this thing that I'm so passionate about. They're just like, this is what I was told to build. So I'm building it. And mm-hmm. so there's, <clears throat> there's a level of seeing the love in it. And uh, the Historica Arcanum people, they really love the era of the Crusades has a, uh, fantasy Jerusalem, like they they fleshed out like that whole area, and I was like, well, that's a cool city to put into your campaign. Like that would be yeah. really cool. So, yeah, yeah, definitely, I'm, I'm definitely a cool company. Guys. Really cool people, and they make really cool products. So, yeah. oh, and I I saw an email where I feel like Weird Wastes is is maybe getting closer to being shipped out Ooh, finally. Hopefully, I know we got venture <laughs> names, but yeah, I was like. And then I was looking back at some of my other Kickstarters. I'm like, wait a minute. I haven't seen this book yet. Like, I did a bad, I, I kickstarted um, Flea Mortals, and I don't think I've seen that book yet. So I got to figure out, have the, you read the Flea Mortals book? No, no, no. I don't have mine. The PDF is out. Oh. You should have gotten a PDF. Okay. But the, the physical book has not shipped yet. Yeah. From what I understand. Okay. I was worried I hadn't got something yet. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, I also had backed the Secret World, if you remember that. It was that MMORPG. Oh, yeah. And then they were making a game out of it. So they had just sent out the raw PDF of it for the backers to see. So they're getting closer and closer to where they'll be able to print and send out. Um, So I, I get to peruse through that and read through that. I also am reading all week Plangea, which I know you're getting to here in a moment. I want to talk a lot about um, but th- that's like my, my Kickstarter news, I guess, is that I backed yeah. Historica Arcanum. I recommend you uh, go out and back that. Um, Secret World is shipping their thing, or at least you can get a look at it, which looks pretty cool. So, Yeah, I think I'm getting some Mothership stuff soon. Um, but I've kind of paused on Kickstarters because I have... My, I have a house to pay for. <laughs> I'm like, I need to, I need to prioritize. I have a weakness. <laughs> Kickstarter weakness is what I got. I got a fever, and the only answer is more Kickstarter. Um, so uh, I thought this was interesting. I wanted to talk a little bit about Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, a lot of people, Professor DM, um, I don't know. I've been following a couple of people talking about it. 
is Baldur's Gate 3 good or bad for tabletop D&D? And a lot of people were talking about it in the sense of the the pe- there are people that play at the table, and this kind of leads into what you were talking about, your other topic of conversation, but there are people at the table that really want D&D to just be a video game. I, they don't want to role play. They just want the cool stuff, and they want to do the cool thing. And a video game allows them to treat it like that rather than a role play exercise kind of a thing. Sure. And I'm not sure if there is even an answer for this, but like Baldur's mm-hmm. Gate 3, people who play that will then come to a table and have the expectation for it to be more of a video game as opposed to a role-playing game. Um, and is that good? And then the people who actually want to role-play will go over here. I guess the real answer is like, we all play the game differently. It, it exists in all worlds. There's always going to be that random house rule or something that you don't agree with. And you find the right group yeah. of people. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Like a lot of people were saying like, oh, this is going to be so good. I or so good for the hobby. Like think about all these all these people that are playing Baldur's Gate 3 that'll want to start playing D&D and I'm like I don't I don't know how many people will. Like I played Neverwinter Nights for years and never really wanted to play 3rd edition D&D. I just really liked Neverwinter. I don't know, you know. Yeah. But I could see it also being I haven't been able to find a party and I know it's something that me and you do haven't had that trouble in the last five years but i do remember a long stretch before that where i was trying to find a dungeons and dragons group to play in and i just couldn't find anybody that could play like nobody in my area was playing all my friends had moved away online playing really wasn't too much of a thing yet you know so it was like but i had this desire that i really wanted to play and i just you know i fell out of it for several years before getting back into it now obviously that barrier of entry is much lower these days because you can play through the virtual tabletop so yeah. much easier you can find groups if you it's not as hard to find groups but if you're the person that just wants to play at a table you want to roll dice with people you're sitting across from that still can be daunting to find it's not we don't all have that cool game store you've got where there's a guy who's putting all his energy into getting games running all the time. And yeah, it blows me away. people run stuff. <laughs> most of mine, like I go to my game store and it's the only people that are in there are people that already have their gaming group. Yeah. Not really looking for somebody else to just sit down and play with them. And then where else do you find some people to play? Maybe from work, maybe from friends, maybe from family, but you might have. So I always thought the rise of the MMORPG, World of Warcrafts, was that whole generation of people that wanted to play role-playing games, but they couldn't find their friends. They'd all moved away. So I need something. I need something to play that gives me that fantasy, heroic, cool character progression. I'm earning experience. I'm earning gold thing. And MMOs kind of filled that for me for a while when I didn't have a D&D group. So I could see where Baldur's Gate could be that filler for somebody who's just never been able to find a, a group or doesn't, want to socially hang out with people that way but they think dungeons and dragons is cool and they want to be able to do it so this would fill that space mm-hmm. but your your comment about will i play Baldur's gate and that'll immediately go oh you know what now i'm going to play the tabletop game i don't know if that necessarily pops into a lot of people's yeah it might pop into a small percentage but i bet it's small i don't think it's like a majority but the more D&Ds in the zeitgeist, the more D&Ds in pop culture, whether it's the TV shows, the movies, the video games, MMORPGs, you know, uh, comic books, I don't know, uh, you know, theater, <laughs> whatever it is, the more chances you have to bring people in that may just have not got sucked in yet. May I'll have be not like, just because you could say, you know, hey, it's like Baldur's Gate three, except we at, yeah. we're at a table with miniatures, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, And that's the other thing is the people who play Bartles Gate 3, I think they'll be able to understand the tactical miniature combat a lot better than somebody who hasn't played Baldur's Gate 3. So there was that aspect of it where I'm like, it it really could be a great teacher for somebody who wants to start playing, but doesn't understand that I'm like, you only have a certain amount of movement 
and then you could use your action to dash, but now you can't attack because you used your action to dash. And they're like, oh, I kind of understand actions and bonus actions now, you know? And so. Yeah, Baldur's Gate player would. But, and then the, what's the converse side of that? They might hate a theater of the mind game. Right? Yeah. They might not enjoy, wait, where's my token? Wait, I need to move 30 feet. And then I get a bonus when I move that 30 feet to charge to do this thing. How do I know well, I went just 30 feet? That. Just and they're like, yeah. that. It was like, wait, wait. What? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing <laughs> so is different people be. play different ways. And so you're going to yeah. have different games. But um, yeah. it's interesting. There's just a lot of talk about it. Uh, and, and a little bit, a lot of talk about the the VTT that D&D Beyond is making, where they're like, did Baldur's Gate 3 just kill the VTT? Because yeah. D&D Beyond's doing that in-house, but like the minute Larian releases some kind of, uh, uh, sandboxy build, you know, Neverwinter Nights had a community build thing where you could build your own levels and stuff. I was like, I mean, Baldur's Gate 3 will probably have that. And it's like, well, I already own this game. We all can hop into Baldur's mm -hmm. Gate 3 and play a cool tactical thing there. So I don't know. It It's, it's really, uh, who knows? But <laughs> I think the thing that will kill virtual tabletops is the absolute glut of people creating virtual tabletops out there right now there's so many different companies and different groups wanting to build vtt's that it is going to there's not going to be a grouping of the players they're just going to be so spread out and so different and then you have to kind of well i know how to use fantasy grounds but i don't know how to use roll 20 but i do know how to use Nexus. well and just rebuying that content in a VTT, yeah. I think you're going to get a lot of people who stick with what they originally had because they bought a bunch of stuff into it. Or you're going to get people like me who I want to play a lot of different games. I'm just going to use the one that is not associated with anybody. Because I'm like, yeah. at the end of the day, I just want to show you a map and where you are on the map. I don't mm -hmm. want to be like, well, I have to buy this expansion in foundry so that you can access all this other stuff like it it don't get me wrong like i played i played around with uh i think it's foundry or alchemy foundry and, yeah and i i like a lot of those i bought foundry on steam and i'm like no this is really cool i could get really into it but i have to rebuy all of my books and i just don't think that's happening so yeah. um and my son is creeping over here and I'm going to slightly <laughs> tell him to go him. away. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thick him on the forehead. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I don't know. There's like, I don't know. Like, you're right, though. We're getting a lot of ETTs. I think people are just like, oh, my gosh. We could make one real quick, and we'll make a lot of money. But, like, it's it's hard to incorporate all that stuff. So, Well, jumping a tiny bit ahead, um, I was – doing kind of a tutorial for a group of players last night for a game campaign that I'm going to be starting. And they hadn't, some of them had used maybe a little bit of roll 20, but not much, or they had used something else at the point. So I was going through and really showing them because I'm, I'm a roll 20 fanatic, you know, I ran all my games. And the thing that got the ooze and Oz and all of it was still is the line of sight for your token changes as you move your token through because i can set up the lighting oh the lighting and then, yeah and that's the one thing that they're just like oh my god this is going to be so great to be able to play and the character sheets doing your math like once everything's set up once it's yeah. all there and you just click on short sword it rolls your short sword it shows what your dice roll was it shows what your bonuses are roll your damage it's all right there boom 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 moving along right you know it's just like i think that's what where the value comes in and allows you to really keep things moving on for those that like a tactical game i don't think it brings anything that you have to have if you if you love theater of the mind you can do that with just about anything that you can just show an image on the screen maybe some music playing in the background and then you're just going through the game right you know and that's that's great but yeah I think for anybody that likes that tactical measuring something out, moving things in squares, put my template down for the fireball template or, you know, whatever, then VTTs are really, you know, that that's, it allows that style of player, that type of player to have the most fun. And that's, that's me. I am a, 
tabletop board game junkie that loves the role-playing piece on top of it, right? I just love having the characters and the role-playing and the campaign and all of it, but I want the board game feel of it. I want the movie. Yeah, yeah. Miniature feel of it, so. For sure. I love it. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. Like, I, I'm just... I, I'm always I'm just really curious about the D and D Beyond VTT, and I think D and D Beyond would actually do better to just have an Albert Rodeo kind of side of thing. Well, I think they're trying to make a big 3D Unreal Engine thing to wow everybody, and I'm like, but really, what 90% of us want is a map and tokens, and I can show my players this, and yeah. you know that would be so simple to put in. And then maybe later on be like, hey, we have this other feature, but like they they're not even doing they're not even doing that. And I'm like, oh, OK, <laughs> so well, and I, I don't want to discourage anybody who's going to eventually make that next step. So we have the virtual tabletops as they are today. Yeah. The next step is almost like you said, the 3D realized world or the virtual reality or the augmented reality version of role-playing because i've been seeing some of those where like they use a microsoft surface and you have the town you have your ar goggles on so you can still see people around the, the table and whatever but then on the surface you see the the medieval town and the toe you know your characters are standing there and it's like you're looking at all those miniatures so that you didn't have to buy all of that forge world stuff <laughs> because that stuff can get expensive if you're buying all of that and putting it out yeah. on your table. But uh, some people do, and that's that's fun too. So, um, and then you know we get to Ready Player One, the movie, and then we're all just in the game, right? We're yeah, just, and we're, we're you know and we're climbing Mount Everest with so, Batman. Yeah, the next Great. levels <laughs> where we want to be. So um, I'm excited. About yeah. So I tell. I, let's talk about Plan Gia. Yeah, yeah. So that's Gia. what I was gonna do. So I have been. Uh, I, I'm taking a new approach to RPGs where I want to write like a six episode, like a six session kind of thing. And so it's like, okay, guys, we're gonna play for six weeks. That might be six weeks over the course of every other week, or that might be or six sessions over the course of every week, or maybe we hammer out two sessions a weekend or something. I don't really know. It's kind of how people have time for, but, um, and I, I've been reading Plangea a lot and I really, really like it. And for those of you who are new, Plangea is the prehistoric campaign setting published by Atlas games. And it's so good. Like it's really, really good. And the book is amazing. And I want to highlight that the book helps you make a campaign uh, which I want books, I want campaign settings now to have more of a here's how to build a campaign rather than here's a one shot that I included with the, the thing. And this one doesn't include a one shot that I'm aware of. I, I, I'm I 99% sure it doesn't. Maybe there's something floating around that I don't know about, but... Um, so I, I have the front part where I'm reading. <laughs> so I have this idea of like, you know, I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3 and I'm like, I really like the idea of these like parasites kind of controlling a brain, not necessarily mind flare parasites. And so then I was reading and it's like, well, there's the uh, abyssal caverns over here and things like that. And I started messing around and then I was reading my um, the, the monster overhaul bestiary that I got that I still haven't done a video on. It's sitting underneath my dragon behind me. And I, one of the things is like here you can take a traditional monster, but if you want to make it have something different, when it dies, uh, like the mind controlling parasite pops out and looks for a new host. And I was like, oh my gosh. So this in mind in Plangea, I, I basically said I want to start my campaign here on the map. And the book says, here's how to do it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to start here. Players will be part of this clan, etc. And then I'm going to have this monster. What are these? What is? Where would this monster come from? Probably over here. I have probably 80% of this thing written, and I barely even started, thanks to the help of that book. And it's yeah. like, here are the different factions. And it's like, if you want to use this faction at this level, here's a threat. But if they, if your players are level like 15, here's the threat that that... that things should bring to the table and i'm like oh my gosh so really cool lots of interesting stuff the book is phenomenal in that how it helps you build a campaign 
So I threw out to my local friends and I said, hey, here's when I am available, which is not a lot. Like I was like, I can basically play because I don't want to I'm not I'm not throwing out my DCC game. So we still play that on Sunday nights. But I was like, I'm available um, after eight o'clock on these weeknights or this. If you are available and are interested, please write your name down below. And I have a I have a full group and they're all ready to play. And so we're going to coordinate like which night of the week we actually want to play. And Mm -hmm. then I'm going to. Uh, yeah, so I've been, I like the Sly Flourish approach where he writes down a one pager to be like, Hey, are you interested in this? Here's what, here's what makes this, this game different from other D and D games. And so, uh, house rules and things like that. So I'm going to write that up. Um, I think I'm going to do that today and then, uh, send it out to my players and start talking about times. But yeah, I'm like, Make I sure want you start it with the word stone punk. Because that is yeah. like the best way to describe this plan to you. Because Stone I'm Age punk. Stone punk. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it's just a testament to like good yeah. writing for a campaign setting. Like this is so useful. Um, and I know I harp on Spelljammer a lot, but like the Spelljammer book did not help me make a, a Spelljammer game in the slightest. I feel like I was. I would have very much had to research the older books and try to figure out how to have a campaign but this one i'm like man i it's all there like it helps you every step of the way and well how, yeah. like how are you going to handle the like what's so interesting about it because i think i might be using plangia in my campaign mm-hmm. but i think i'm going to use it in the aspect of regular forgotten realms 5e players Oh, get transported back <laughs> into the world somehow, right? Yeah. So they're there. But what makes the world interesting is the black taboos, right? Because this yeah. is the the world revolves around some rules that have shaped this world. And I thought they were such interesting rules that helped make sure you had that theme. And there was like no writing, right? So whatever happens with writing, you get hunted down if you try to write down a book or a sentence. In so words. there are these mystical hounds that come and attack you yeah. in Plangia if you break the black taboos. And really the black taboos are a way to keep the society primitive. So you can't yes. count past the number nine. Anything past nine is one. many. Yeah. There is no writing allowed. You're not allowed to invent the wheel. Um, and, and there's another, there's no metal, no metal. Yeah. Well, that's just, it's stone. Stone. There's, there's no, no metal. There's so. no metal. Yeah. So, so to have them things. transported back, uh, I've yeah. taken the black taboos in a couple different directions. One could be, it's just that like superstition that everybody yeah. has, but the hounds don't actually exist. And right. so it's like yeah. our fear just keeps us in the stone age. Um, and so mm-hmm. on that case, if your players get transported back, they could be like, well, why aren't the hounds coming after them? And maybe there's a big uprising against the gods or whoever who's trying to like mm-hmm. keep people in line. Um, the other thing I think is just like magic could work completely different. Like they're just like, I used yes. to know this spell and now they don't have it anymore and they don't know how and there it is works, different magic you know? in that. Yeah. yeah. There is some different magic. Um, but yeah, definitely a, a like overthrow of the hounds and the and actually introducing civilization to Plangia could be kind of interesting. So Yeah, because I was thinking, like, we have a wizard, and they're going to have their wizard's book, right? And they're going to have written spells in there. So I'm going to have to deal with the situation of, are the hounds real? How do I handle that? Do I want them to be real? Is there something about that? Is the book hidden from the hounds because it comes from a different place? So that they're not getting hunted for, but if they were to try to do something else, then they would. Or if they try to teach other people this, like, here, let me teach you this writing, that's when it would be like, oh. Yeah, and in in my mind, I'm just thinking as I read it, there's definitely this higher power entity, entities, something that says, I want this world to remain a a certain way. Yes. And I am willing to use my power to make that happen. So I love mess with that, I'm Love bringing that. my power down on you. Love it so much. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you will be happy as you continue reading that book. There is a whole section on um, do you want to have displaced time yeah. travelers? And it'll help you craft that story because it's such a yeah. good book. Yeah. Really so love that. That's what I'm thinking about doing is. It's reinvigorated my love of 5e. I'll say that. Like, I was very, like, I'm, you know, the OGL, and I'm, like, wizards. I'm, like, ah, and I'm kind of bored of 5e, and I'm, like, I don't know. 
and now I'm like so excited for this game. Like, <laughs> I like the idea of it so much that just like with when we were talking about doing um, the cliff setting, I almost feel like there. I wanted something that were a couple of rules that made it so that the setting was exactly what we would think it would be, you know, and it would it would mm -hmm. play out just like he thought of. How do I make this stone punk? And I like how he even lists out. Okay, let's say in your world you have a castle. Well, guess what? Over here you have this large tent city, right? Or this large cave system. Yeah. Oh, you guys have coaches and carriages to take people around. Well, over here you ride on dinosaurs or you ride on big creatures. You have this thing. Here's the primitive. Yeah, version. he's made an equivalent for all of it, um, yeah, and like it really helps because it is like, oh, like you could pick up Tomb of Horrors and place it in Plangea, you just have to modify what it like looks like. You know, this is a tunnel system carved with magic by an evil yeah. lich or something. And yeah. they're not dumb. I think that was the other thing that he said. I wasn't making it, he says it in the very beginning of the book. I wasn't making a game where you just play, oh, okay, I'm a caveman and I just hit things with club yeah. and that's all it is. No, 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 this is a society that knows it's being repressed from certain technologies. Mm -hmm. It knows they're there, but they can't use them. So they've had to use everything else to do all the things they need to do with ingenuity by using Stone Age materials, by using beasts of burden, by coming up with a different way to do the thing the wheel would have let them do, or doing the thing the writing would have let them do, or doing the thing that having the metal structure in the society of that do. And just the idea of the big bonfires where the, the instead of a tavern at night the yeah. biggest bonfire in the night because they have to scare away and keep away it's the only way you can be safe in a world where things are you know building sized coming and the creatures you. are yeah. so big and so dangerous that what their society has grown up around we build the biggest fire at night in the world that people can see and everybody is welcome at the fire right yeah. you leave your weapons in the dark and you can come to the fire. I just like, that's yeah. such an interesting thing to then throw your players into who are thinking, oh, we're from the Sword Coast, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. boom, what is going on? Yeah, there's so, a there's a big emphasis on survival. And yeah. not just survival of like, oh, I got to like survive in the world. No farming. But like, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, there's, there's foraging and there's and, yeah. no, no money. Like there, everything's No money, trade. that was the other black taboo. Like, there can be no money. Yeah. So it's, ah, it's so great. It uh, is good. It's good. It's got me excited. <laughs> really, really got me excited to run 5e games. Um, I didn't we're think I would better. like a prehistoric setting as much as I am. And it's probably yeah. another testament to the amount of love that went into that project. Like that yeah, guy. I would say we normally wouldn't like it as much, but he has thought so much and made yeah. it so good that it does draw us in. And I know we're a little, but I got one more thing. I want to yeah, talk go ahead. one thing. Because I have this idea, I want to run it by you, Jordan. Do you want to be the big bad evil guy in my campaign? <laughs> uh, in now, your Plangea campaign? In, in this campaign, I'm dividing oh, okay. right now. You're the big. You're the type of big bad evil guy that uses your minions to do all of your bidding. You mm. never get your hands dirty. You of course. Never get, and I was thinking that we could do this fun thing where it wouldn't take up a bunch of your time. You don't have to show up to sessions or anything. But every now and then I would type in a thing and be like, hey, Mr. Big Bad Evil Guy, <laughs> what's your plan for this month to to do whatever you think? Like yeah. if you were a necromancer and you wanted to take over the world, but you have to start where you have nothing. What do you have your minions do first to start building this evil empire that you are about to build? And I was wondering if we could do this cool thing where it's just maybe just a couple of messages every now and then. Sure. To say, yeah. what would you do? I thought that might no, be No, I fun. love that. We should we wow. should hash out one day like what you want this yeah. villain to look like. And then yeah. definitely I could be like, well, I think – and I know playing Geo well enough now that I could play off of that trope as well. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I think that would be fun. fun and cool. So that was my idea to have somebody play the, the evil god guy. of but, murder or something. Yeah, you give, <laughs> what are your minions doing? What, yeah. what is their goal? Are they out raiding villages? Are they out gathering certain materials because you know you're going to need them? Are you kidnapping people for some nefarious deed that you need to do? Is this a ritual that you need to 
do that's going to get you a powerful item that's then going to get you this other thing. And it, I always feel like it should be like this plan of, it's never a one-step plan. It's like, I need this thing so I can do this thing. Then I can do this thing. That's why the, the failure always happens to the bad guys, right? Because their plans have so many steps and then the heroes get in, involved somewhere in one yeah. of the steps. I always think, and I just think that'd be fun to have somebody thinking through it as if they were the villain. Okay, well, what should I have my cult go and do this yeah. month that, that will help progress my my uh, will? You know? Yeah. Oh, that sounds All fun. Right. Be, uh, it'd be interesting to, be to talk about, and then we could discuss it as long as your players don't yeah. listen to the show. But yeah. <laughs> right. And I don't think they are. <laughs> so... Awesome. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening and hanging out with us on this wonderful Saturday morning. Uh, go to, I think it's Jorfton. Oh, Substack.com slash at Jorfton um, and become a Substack, Substack subscriber for the audio podcast of this and uh, various other posts that I do there. Um, we're live on YouTube. You can subscribe there. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jorfton as well. And I think you're out next week. But yeah, I've got two events coming up. I will be here and I will find a guest host or we'll do another oh, solo Jordan show because that'll be fun too. Um, oh, yeah, and we'll prep Plangia. How about that? That'd be kind of fun. Uh, yeah, so that's it, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Saturday morning RPG show. Thank you.